You're listening to 100 p.m. at Leading the Product, Australia's premier product management conference, episode two. One hundred PM is the fastest growing resource for learning to think and do like an expert product manager. Visit us on the web and be sure to subscribe to our show by searching One Hundred PM on iTunes or Google Play. For more information about today's episode, head over to One Hundred Product Managers dot com slash Leading the Product. Today's guest is Bronwyn Yam. Let's dive right in and say hello to Bronwyn. My name is Bronwyn Yam, Director of Product at Tyro Payments. We're here in Australia at Leading the Product Conference. Are you based in Australia? No, I'm actually I am based in Australia, but not in Melbourne. Okay, in Sydney. Yeah. What's better, Melbourne or Sydney? You can tell us in the audience. Yeah. Okay. Look, I I've been in Australia for only about 14 years. I grew up in the states, so for me, I settled in Sydney and I love Sydney. But I don't mind coming to Melbourne. So yeah. kind of giving you that political correct. Answer. Yeah, yeah, because you got friends here and you don't、yep. want them to turn on you. Well, what I keep hearing is Melbourne has better coffee, but Sydney's got better beaches. That is very true. All right, but Sydney coffee is getting better. What is Tyro Payments? So Tyro Payments is a fintech in Australia that has been granted a full banking license about two years ago. So we pretty much service、uh, Australian businesses from small to the medium end, and we take care of their working capital needs. So be it card payment. Taking, lending, and transaction banking. So, in your capacity as director of product, what are the products that you kind of manage within the portfolio, or if there's one? So, there are four product lines that I manage within Tyro: our debt product, deposit or transaction banking product, payment product, and we have a new product called Platform, which is all about creating connectivity for businesses' systems to applications they may be using. Got it. So four products. Tell us a little bit about the structure of your teams, then that kind of cascade down from your leadership role. Sure. So I have the four leads that look after these revenue generating businesses. They are then supported by three other colleagues. One looks after digital channels because we are a digital bank. We don't have any branches or footprint in the market, so everything is about communicating with the customers via the app, via the portal. So there's a lead that looks after digital channels. There is a person that looks after data science and analytics. So this is all about the way that we can optimize the portfolio outcome for Tyro. The third support function is process transformation. Being a startup about ten years ago, we did not really look into processes. It was a company that was about ten people, then then grew into forty. We're now over four hundred, and. Processes are important, so process transformation becomes a critical component of product. So you, each of these product teams has a dedicated process person. No, so I have a central process team within product that supports the four revenue generating、oh, wow. product teams. If that makes sense, I love that. Yeah, yeah. And how did you get into product? I got into product first through more. In consulting, so once I graduated from college, I、uh, got a job at one of the big firms and doing consulting, and had the privilege to work across many different industries. From my first client was Dole Pineapple, so got to fly to Hawaii and look at the pineapple farms, which was very fascinating. To government type clients, what intrigues me about product is I feel that gives me the best ability to solve problems for customers, whether that's businesses or customers, consumers. 
I love the fact that we're able to understand their pain points, understand their needs, come up with the right solutions, whether that's a product or service, to help them address those pain points. I recently heard a framing, one year in consulting is equivalent to two years on yep. the job. Have you heard that before? I have heard that. Do you agree with that? I do agree with it. I would actually say, depending on the client that you're surfacing, it could be one year in consulting equals three years in industry. So I have about 10 years of consulting experience and surfacing so many different industries around different geographies in the globe. I, I do feel that there is quite a bit of experience and uh, scars and war <laughs> stories that I can tell. So if that metric holds true, then you've got something like 50 years of product management experience under your belt by now. That is hopefully true. And yeah. hopefully I don't look anything like that. No, you look fantastic. <laughs> what is it about consulting that you think allows for that sort of accelerated learning that you're describing? I think the consulting piece is really every new client, every new industry you go into, it's almost like being thrown in the deep end. You need to understand why you're there because most companies pay pretty big dollars for consulting firms to be there to do project. So there's not a lot of time to ramp up your knowledge to then deliver value. And those are the training that we get as consultants is the ability to decide and filter through the noise and really get to the core of the problem so that we can start adding value and consulting and giving advice for the clients and trying to help them solve their problems. Right. This is a question that comes up. In fact, we, we speak about this on the show. So many of our listeners are either contemplating coming into product or they're contemplating making a shift. And I think that they enjoy getting the different perspectives. What's the benefit of being a consultant and what do you think is the trade-off or, or one of the most significant trade-offs? The benefit of being a consultant is the variety. Yeah. You meet so many different stakeholders. And the great things about being a consultant is that you're an outsider. So you don't necessarily need to play the politics of the company. And let's be realistic. Every company, big or small, will have politics. Yeah. But by being a consultant, you can actually stay away from it, but you can be a very close observer and through that, you get to understand how to work with different people, different stakeholders, what are all everyone trying to achieve. And that learning is just amazing. Now, the trade-off, though, is you do feel quite frustrated at times because you may have delivered something great. And then the next thing you know is that you have to wrap up the project and you're shipped off to the next client. You actually don't get to see the results of your consulting advice to the client. You may not be able to see to the end of that implementation. And that could be very frustrating. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think it's it's super well articulated. And, and again, it's neither good nor bad, but for people contemplating the choice, getting connected with what's important. I mean, what I'm always struck by when, when folks ask me for career advice is how they forget to bring what's important to them to the table yep. a lot of the time. Yep. So, you know, that's the first reflection back is to say, well, do you want to touch a lot of different things or do you want to touch one thing and, and really get to know it over a period? And yep. it is a different cadence for sure and a different set of skill sets that it tugs on. Yeah, and, and it's very similar to people who come to me and ask, oh, you've done consulting, you've done strategy. That is so amazing. You know, what got you into product? I want to do strategy. And my first question to, you know, mentees that come to me and say, I want to do strategy is, 
please describe for me what you mean by strategy without using the word strategy or strategic. <laughs> That's their first homework assignment. Yeah. Because it does sound like it's a glorious job to be able to strategize. And the question for me to many of these individuals would be, what do you want to do? Like, do you really just want to remain at the strategic level to maybe articulate a concept to solve a problem and then you duck off to the next one because you don't want to see through it? Yeah. You don't want to see the results of it? Or you're the one that says, actually, I want to crack that problem and I want to implement it. I want to own it. I want to, if there's failure, I want to learn from it. Then that's not really a strategy role. That's more in terms of a operational role that has an ounce of strategic thinking into the role. Yeah. So these are the things that I always ask people, like, what, what do you mean by strategy? If you love the doing, then strategy may not be the right role or consulting may not be the right area or right jobs or right industry to go into. Yeah, I mean, it's, it brings up so many things. One of the things I'd say in my classroom somewhat facetiously is that strategy is just guessing. Is I like to take some of the puffery out of it yep. because it is a word that's like strategy. I'm a strategist. Yes. Here's my card. And it's yes. like, oh, so you're just in charge of putting together a bunch of guesses about what may or may not be right. And yep. depending on the organization, being accountable to yep. making sure. Um, and, you know, it speaks to this, you know, we did a, a product women panel here just leading up to the conference. And one of the themes that emerged was this notion of the distinction between being a conceptual thinker and being able to execute. And a lot of the times sort of the, the man behind the curtain type of thing where people who can talk a lot of talk about stuff don't actually have the skills to get it done. Yep. Do you uh, have a, like a way of, sniffing that out when you meet people that purport to be really great or senior or capable and you're like, mm. I, I do. So if it is around, say, job interview and I'm hiring and there are obviously great interviewers, they practice so much in terms of how they present themselves at a job interview. What I usually do is, yes, we go through the usual questions that they may anticipate, but then I would usually throw a curveball. I would sometimes apply my five whys type methodology and say, so why do you do that? What happened there? Why did it happen? Just to try to drill down to the detail to assess whether they've really had that experience. And sometimes I ask them rather than all the positive stuff, I will be asking them for all the war stories. Like, tell me why that happened. Tell me what the bad things your stakeholders will say about you. Because most people come in prepared for all the good stuff to make them look good. Yeah. So I try to just think through different ways to help them articulate to that level of detail that gives me the comfort knowing that they truly have those scars and truly have those war stories. And there are times that it's just about chemistry. Some yeah. people may come across as they are the talker and I'm not getting any ounce of feeling that they know how to execute. And it just won't be the right team for them to join. That kind of divisive questioning I enjoy as well, because I think it also, it's, I'm really assessing self-awareness. It's, I don't even actually care as much what the actual answer is, but do you have enough self-awareness to say, yeah, there's probably some people that would take this perspective on me and this is why they would think that. Yeah. Okay, so should I turn that on to you then and say, like, you've been a leader for a long time. If you were to round up all of the people out there that didn't love being under your leadership, yep. what would they probably say about you, Bronwyn, as a leader? 
So all the people will all the people you pissed off through the that years. That I've pissed off over the years will probably say that I come in thinking that I know so much and I'm not seeing the value of what they're delivering that I'm not really spending my time with them and I'm not really getting to know them as a person. And funnily enough, the people who have stuck around and have kind of enjoyed working on my team will say exactly the opposite. And it goes back to I'm the type of leader that doesn't like to be brown-nosed too, if that makes sense. I love to be down in the trenches. And what I tell the team is, you know, don't sell me the good news story. Like my job as the leader is that I am your safety net. Why I'm asking you a lot of questions on the details of what they're working on isn't necessarily about micromanagement, but it is more for me if they need my help. And bluntly put, if you know crap hits the fan and I'm there to help them, to support them, to be the sounding board, I don't want it to be at that emergency moment where then I try to get the background to what they've been working on so that I can add value to the conversation. So many people who did not enjoy my leadership or who felt that I wasn't spending time with them or that I wasn't really listening to them is they didn't want to tell me the details. They just wanted to tell me the good stories. And I keep on going back. It's like, that's fantastic. But what are some of the not so good stuff that's happening? And they felt that I wasn't thinking that they were capable of handling the not-so-good stuff. So it's a mismatch of intention and perception, and I think that will be one of those things that I am still working on is making sure that what I'm intending to do is perceived in an as aligned way as possible by the person that I'm trying to actually help. Right. So when you crossed over to the dark side, i.e. you went internal. In industry. Yeah, yeah. in industry. <laughs> yep. Um, you went to... Banking. Yes. And you've been in banking now well over a decade. Yep. So are you a masochist or you really just love banking? Like what is the drive of that? Do you love that industry? I do love the banking industry. Um, In particular, my most recent roles have been more in payments. And I'm very fascinated by the payments area of banking. And part of that is because I love technology. And there's so many things going on with technology that is impacting payments and it's impacting customer experience. You know, I travel around the globe and I see how different people have different payment behavior. You know, some areas like the U.S. is still writing checks and it's very interesting to go to a supermarket lining up and you see a lady in front of you that is pulling out the checkbook for a dollar and five cents. Others, like in Asia, where they're all now using QR code. So I do love technology and how that's converging with banking and payments. And I am there because of my passion and because of the enjoyment. The story behind of how I got into banking, though, is that was also the time when I exited consulting. I then moved countries from Asia here to Australia. And when I arrived in Australia, the question was, "Mm, do I really want to go back into consulting? Or do I want to try something new? And I felt that was the sea change and let's try something new. Given an island nation that we are in Australia and the market is pretty small relative to, you know, Europe, US and Asia, it really came down to, okay, what are some of the industries that will be least impacted by outsourcing? And I came down to natural resources, which is a very strong sector here in Australia, 
banking and telco. Because no matter what you do, the engine room still needs to be onshore. You can't really outsource a bank to support your customers onshore. And for me, I have no passion, nor knowledge, nor background in natural resources. So that was ruled out. And it was pretty much kind of between, okay, whoever offers me a job first, whether it's a (laughs) bank or telco, that's where I'm going to give it a go. And it was the bank. Right. Great. And so Tyro is exclusively in Australia or there's there's a reach beyond Australia? Tyro is currently exclusively Australia. Wow. Okay. So... Are you doing a talk here at the conference or did you do a talk already? I did a talk already. What was your talk? Today. So my talk is about the end of customer journey. Are we there yet? Interesting. Because there has been a lot of discussions and obviously a lot of fascinating methodologies in the way that people do customer research. There are many new terminologies that's come about in the last decade. You know, 10 years ago, more than that, companies will be looking at, oh, I've got this great idea. We came up with it in the war room. We're just going to build it and the customers will come. So now I feel the pendulum has swung completely to the other end where every single thing that I hear from my product team every day is like, we need to do research. Have we done research? Can I get some money for research? And the dollars and the business cases that I sign off on just racks up. And the question is about, is there really an end to this customer research phase? Or do we just continue to spiral into this, you know, money draining vortex and never seeing the return? So that's kind of a bit of my passion of talking. It's not that understanding customers is not important. It is extremely important because that's what we're all in businesses for. But there is different ways, smarter ways of doing customer research. And that's what the talk was all about. Can you, you know, for the benefit of our listeners who may not be here, just leak a couple of the juiciest data points from your talk? So one example that I highlight are personas. Okay. Everyone talks about personas and it's fantastic. You're able to understand the needs, the pain points, the emotional drivers. But at the same time, not a lot of companies are really making them come to life. So one of my tips for the audience was what we're trying to do at Tyro is by having the personas at every single meeting that we have. Now, what I mean by that is many people might have practiced kind of like the seven hats methodology. In a meeting, you assign everyone different color hats. And if you wear the black hat that day, your job is to be the challenger. So we try to make it so that within the meeting that we're at, somebody must wear that persona's hat. So one of our personas is Theo. So in the meeting, you're Theo. So it's not a cardboard that you see, but you're actually Theo. And that's helping to bring the customers to life within the organization. And it's not just about the product team needing to do that. It's about every single team within the company doing that. So we've actually introduced personas even into our induction for new employees coming into Tyro. We're still at the beginning of the journey, but many of the meetings that I've been at where I throw out the question of, and what's Theo going to think about that? You know, that? That feature, is Theo really going to resonate with that? Is that going to make Theo want to switch to using Tyro? And this is actually having impacts to people pausing and thinking about, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Haven't thought about that. It's like, well, let's think about it before we go into implementation and launch a product or go into further research because we haven't used the existing materials that we have. 
I love that. You know, of course, the famous anecdote that comes up is the Jeff Bezos and sort of the empty chair in the room. But I like the idea of replacing the empty chair with somebody who has to play Theo. And this is a theme I've spoken about a lot, you know, in classroom and probably on the show as well, that when we are also users of our product, it gets even harder to separate from the product manager mindset or the team internal team mindset and that end user because we start to think we know what's best we're already there yep yeah and my take on that though is yes when used in extreme it becomes really bad because you pretty much swing the pendulum back to oh we know best so we'll build and they'll come but at the same time there are companies not necessarily leveraging on the resources they have in terms of employees because there are products and services that we could be developing whereby we are the users. So if I was operating more in the retail banking side, I am a retail bank customer. Like I have my credit cards, I use the ATM. So yeah, I I have an opinion about our own products and service. So it is all about the balancing, making sure that you're not overusing what you think you know, but at the same time, make sure that you do use what you know. Right. You... I think intimated some of these aspects when I asked the question in the inverse, which is like, what would all the people you've pissed off say about you and sitting around at a bar? But I'm curious if you could describe your leadership style. My leadership style is more leading from behind. I believe in the concept of more followership than the kind of like leadership in the front. What I mean by that is I like to be in the details, in the tranches with my team. I like to remove the sense of hierarchy with the team. I want to create an environment where people feel that their uniqueness, their experiences, their different way of thinking, that diversity has good contribution to what makes a great product team. And I am just a element of that. So by fostering that type of environment, I feel that the team doesn't necessarily always need to be looking to me for guidance, for direction, but they feel that they can be part of driving what that is. And I always tell the team, I'm part of their safety net. Like that's where my experience and that's where my leadership comes in is if things aren't going right and they feel that they're stuck, I want them to know that I'm there to support them. So that's how I describe my way of leading from behind is kind of hurting my troops to make sure that we're heading the right direction, but that they don't feel constrained by like a top-down type leadership style. Right. And you've spoken offline about supporting women in particular, kind of as part of that journey. And I think everyone listening, and we all know about the problem and the challenges of being a woman. So how do you do that specifically, right? And can I send all women to you for this after the interview. I would love to talk to a lot of women about my own career journey and learning. The key advice I will have is follow your passion, follow your gut, be bold. I know many female, myself included at times when I'm trying to, you know, think about career change, you come up with the checklist of what skills you've got, you match that to what was on the job spec in the advertisement and you just kind of got mm, seven out of 10. No, I'm not going to go for it. Well, that's if you have a framework. If, for if you have a framework or, or if you don't have a framework, you may just kind of go, no, that job's too senior for me or they're not going to look into my CV. My advice to everyone listening out there is just give it a go. 
There is nothing to lose by spending the 10 minutes to prep your CV, to prep your cover letter, apply for that role. If they don't give you a chance, then, you know, you've gone for it. There's no regrets. If they give you an interview, fantastic. Be yourself and own that interview. Follow the passion and be bold. Yeah. So what this reminds me of earlier, you kind of spoke about the privilege that consultants get of kind of being able to say and get away with a lot of things. And actually one of my clients, you know, recently challenged me on exactly that. And I said, yeah, I'm not employable at this point. But I think this is also relevant for women as well, because there's always that duality around, you know, men can behave a certain way and it's kind of rewarded and then women behave a certain way. And then, you know, it's feedback about how they can improve and soften What are the kinds of communication tactics, stakeholder management things that that you would advocate for or advise somebody on, whether it's for women or or not? But, you know, this role is so much about aligning people or leading without actual leadership jurisdiction a lot of the times, so much about persuasion. How do you survive that? And internally where there's all those politics you spoke about? Yeah. So I think one is do make sure you're aware of all those politics before going into any conversation. Number two would be use the relationship building skills and the rapport that you have with people to your advantage. What I mean by that is as you get to know the people, allow them to really understand how you operate. Now, there are many people, be them female or male, that may not feel comfortable to provide their feedback or input right away at a meeting where all the stakeholders are around. And being in product, you are the glue to every single stakeholder around the company. So it is about building that one-on-one rapport and allowing people to know that if you're not the type of person or personality that will likely provide an input on the spot, let them know that you'd like to operate in the way that you want to absorb every opinion around the table you would like to take it away and you'll follow through and come back with an opinion. And it's okay to let people know that that's how you want to operate so that they don't second guess why you're so quiet around the table per se. So these are the things that I would advise people and these are some of the tactics that I've certainly used earlier on in my career when either I have just stepped into a client, I don't know really who they are, but I am the consultant and they're all looking at me expecting me to say stuff. But through time, as I build the relationship, and I guess in a sense is the experience, you feel you need to push yourself to feel comfortable letting people know how you operate. You need to push yourself to feel comfortable to own your opinions and state it in a constructive manner. I have seen previous leaders that I've worked for where they feel that they just need to become that alpha female. And you're like, but you just completely lost who you are as a person. So the authenticity of a leader or of any individuals around the table for me is also very critical. Yeah, I mean, what what I've been struck by, I've had the great fortune of sitting down with so many amazing female leaders as part of this series and yourself included, is there's been a really calm is one way of describing it, but there's an energy to it that feels soft. And... Would you consider yourself to be soft? <laughs> That's a very interesting question. I I don't see myself as soft, but I don't see myself as aggressive or hard either. 
What I've been told is that people around me feel that I have a presence and that I'm able to command the room in a conversation in a constructive way, not in a nasty, loud, dictatorial way. And in a sense, for me, reflecting on that, it's kind of like, well, in a sense, I do want people to know that, yeah, I have a role to play in that meeting or in that room or to drive the conversation. So it is okay to own the room and have that presence. So yeah, I'm kind of like in the middle. I I don't see myself as soft because one, I know I'm a pretty loud talker. I've actually been told one time when I'm in a a workshop where a lady sitting next to me in my work stream was like, can you just like stop yelling? I said, oh, (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm not yelling. Like this is just my normal way of talking. (laughs) And then funnily enough, when one of the senior executives came through to be kind of like the coach for the cohort of what we're doing, it was a leadership training course. And she's known me for quite some time. And I was trying to like tone down my voice. The senior executive came in and I started talking to her. And first thing she says like, Bronwyn, are you okay? Are you sick? Why are you talking like that? I said, no, no, I've just been told that I was like yelling in the room. So I'm just trying to tone it down. Yeah, so I'm definitely not a soft person. That's funny. Do you have a scary side? Um, I think I do have a scary side, particularly when I get frustrated. When things aren't moving along or when I feel I'm not getting the answers that I need, I tend to get into my frustration and I don't hide it well. So maybe play poker with me because you can always tell what kind of hand I've got. (laughs) And... I'm still trying to manage through that. I'm trying to continuously be very consistent in the way that I deal with my team or my stakeholders. But balancing that with the authenticity of who Bronwyn Yam is, many people who knows me will say, but that's what we like about you is that bluntness. Like we can always tell what's on your mind. When you're frustrated, we can tell. And that's how we can get, you know, robust candid, honest conversation going. So still working on it. There is a scary side because I I can get quite frustrated and that then gives off a sense that I'm very demanding because I I just want the answers or whatever I'm looking for now Yeah. because I've been waiting. Being Italian, I just like put the euphemism of passion around that. I say, I'm just passionate. This is only because I care so much. I don't know if everyone believes that or not. Is there anything on your kind of career roadmap that you haven't yet done. So in your, you know, 30 years (laughs) equivalent of of product management and in consulting, and then, you know, another 10, 12 years as you've been doing in in industry, where you're like, you know where I want to go next, or you know what challenge I haven't had the opportunity to dive into? Um, I don't know, because I've kind of lost track or I should say I've given up on this roadmap of and I feel sometimes that constrains people in the tick the box exercise. Earlier in my career they would be like oh I want to develop strategy skills then I want to be able to run an operation I want to run a PL. I want to do this I want to do that and then every opportunity that comes across you kind of go oh is that going to tick that box. So where I am at the moment is you know I've worked for relatively large multinational organizations when I was in consulting, have worked for one of the big four banks here in Australia. I'm now in a fintech, which is smaller. So there's a lot of learning and growth for me in a much smaller organization and understanding how that operates. For me, it is about understanding the opportunities that are in front of me. And if it 
in a sense, float my boat and I feel like, oh, yeah, I can feel my passion going, then I just go for it. And there's always going to be learning no matter what it is. Even if it is another strategy role or another consulting chapter that I want to open up again, I'm sure that the way that we do consulting today and what the client's requests are would be very different from how consulting was done 20 years ago. And so for me, it's no longer about what else is missing from my career. It is all about being open-minded, never say no to anything that you feel you are going to be passionate about. Great. We uh, do a segment on this show, Bronwyn, called Get the Job, Learn the Job, Love the Job. And uh, I think our audience can benefit from your wisdom on this. So let's start with getting the job. And here's the frame. I've been working in product management for some handful of years, and I feel that I'm ready to make the next jump into leadership. How do I go from senior PM to VP or director level? Firstly, would be doing your homework and reflecting on the why. Is it because you feel you've been operating at the same level and you want that career progression? Is it because you're chasing a title? Is it because that you truly want more responsibility, more experience? One thing about people wanting to jump into leadership position is they need to think about there are a lot more people management issues challenges that come with leadership. As a senior product manager, you may still be very much product focus, stakeholder focus, customer focus. But when you become a leader of product, it's no longer just about the product, but the people that you're leading. So is that really where your passion lies? Now, when you have a great team and all one-on-ones and conversations is colorful and fantastic, awesome because everyone has a positive day. But you have to think about that there will be times that you need to have those tough people conversations, whether it is somebody's not really doing the job to your expectation. How are you going to give that feedback? Do you feel comfortable giving that feedback? There will be times that in the reality of businesses today, you may need to make some roles redundant. Are you ready for those conversations? So thinking about more of a senior leadership position is about evaluating what is it that you really want out of that and making sure that you are very well aware of all the additional aspects of the role. And once you've thought it through, go for it. You've got the experience as a senior product manager, so until you try, you don't know. Okay, and so what does go for it look like? So go for it would look like having the conversation with your managers, having conversation with your stakeholders or the senior executives of the company. Be upfront about what you're looking for. Be, you know, articulate about why you want that type of career change, why you're aspiring to be in a more senior position. Let people know, because if you don't sell yourself, if you don't let people know that these are your career aspirations, people won't know. And if people don't know, they can't help you. Great. What about... I'm just going to say it, fuck-ups. I mean, yep. have you made any? I have made have so made many. you made a few oh, hundred? I've made so many fuck-ups. It's hilarious. Uh, from back to kind of in a meeting where at one point in time, I felt I always need to have the answers. Like, I just don't shut up and think. When I hear a question, I jump to the automatic mode of answering. And that pissed off a lot of people. And so that has been probably a learning of a good 10 years to know that 
it is okay to not provide an answer at a meeting, particularly if you're presenting to like the executive committee or the board. You just kind of feel like, I, I need to know my shit. Like they're asking me a question. Of course I need to have the answer. It's okay that sometimes you don't have the answer. It's okay that you tell them, I'm going to come back to you on that. But, and that's it, no buts. So I've made those mistakes. Um, then the other one is probably earlier days, I let my ego get in the way. What I mean by that is in my consulting days, I was working for a Japanese company. And when I showed up, they thought that I was the translator. They didn't think that I was the consultant. One, because I was female. And second, because I look Asian. So they just kind of go, oh, you must be the translator because they were waiting for a Caucasian person to come in to be the consultant. And on that, I allowed my ego to get in the way to kind of like, I'm going to show you, client, that I am the consultant. And then that didn't help drive good dialogue with the customer to understand what is it that I was there to consult on. So it was a one-way conversation where in my mind, it was just like, yeah, I'm going to tell you and show you that I am the consultant. And I've completely missed the boat on what they wanted me there for. Right. I mean, so powerful and honest. It's amazing. What about for people that you lead? So speaking from the leadership lens, where do you see more, more junior product people, which could include senior product people, struggle in the practical aspects of product management? I think in the practice is prioritization. I think there are so many things and different expectations of product managers. And I now always call them product people because in some people's eyes, it's product managers. In other people's eyes, and it could be the same company, but just a different department that they are product owners. And now there are all these different expectations and definitions of what are product managers versus you know who are product owners. So for me, it, it product people product people's jobs are getting increasingly complex. And the challenges, whether it's the more junior product managers to even the more experienced ones, is prioritize. Prioritizing from what feature do I go next? What research do I need to do next? To how am I going to you know, talk to the engineers and drive the agile methodology and the scrums and the sprints to which stakeholder do I meet with first? And do I make sure that account management is happy first? Or do I make sure that customer support is happy? Like all of that is just always noise. So the ability to filter all of that, I believe is an increasing challenge for many of us in product. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I had this conversation with an associate the other day and just said, trust yourself. There's a moment and you're asking questions and those answers are within your reach. Yep. So, yep. yeah, great. Love it. What do you think is so great about product that you just keep signing up year over year over year to keep doing it? For me, product is about solving problems. You could be solving problems in many different ways. And it's the freedom and the ability to have that playground to solve maybe the same old problems differently, using different tools, different methodology, different inputs, different markets. So I love it. I'm not sensing any tiredness around product. And it's also being able to see your product come to life to make an impact for your customers. Right now with you know small businesses that we're trying to surface and target in Tyro, 
hearing from the customers on how we've saved them time, how we've saved them money, is such a rewarding compliment that I feel being in product is where my calling is, and that's why I'm, you know, signing up for more and more in product. And I always say I'm not a salesperson, but I love supporting our sales colleagues to go and speak to customers because it's identifying those problems, those issues, and being able to think through with my team. Yeah, you know what? We can tackle that. I think we can solve that for our customers, and then be delighted about it once that we do help them achieve their goals. I love that. Are there any resources? So at 100productmanagers.com/resources, we have this robust list of recommendations from all of our guests through the years. And I'm wondering if there's any books, blogs, podcasts, or other that have been especially impactful to you recently, historically, and it doesn't have to be product specific. So I've got one book that I would definitely recommend, and that's by Brene Brown, Growth Mindset. Yeah, she's got a new one out too. Yeah, get out to lead. Yes, but growth mindset. Like if you get your head around that and allow yourself to have that growth mindset, then everything else will have a different perspective to how you approach things. The second one for me is probably around a tool that I use. So I, I use an app called Flipboard. Where I can just capture all the various topics that I'm interested in and fascinated by, and I just go through that and flip through it every night. And through that, there are amazing articles that come through, whether it's on payments, whether it's on fashion, whether it's on travel. That's another tool that I recommend for people who are time poor, just so that you can have one consolidated, I guess, in a sense, news clipping of everything that you're interested in. How much time do you spend reading those articles on Clipboard? I probably spend maybe half an hour to forty-five minutes a day, so that's kind of like my wind down time, time uh, before I go to bed. Wow! Yeah. For me, I feel like if I sat down and did forty-five minutes of absorbing knowledge, I I wouldn't be able to sleep. There are times where it <laughs> happens, but then other times you're like flipping, flipping, and then you're dozing. I was like, yes, time to go to bed. <laughs> okay, last question for you: Is there a personal or professional mantra that you? Use to kind of guide who you are in the world that you would like to share with our audience. For me, my personal mantra is: until I try, I will never know whether I like it or not, and always live your life with no regrets. Can't say it better than that, Bronwyn Yim. Thank you so much for being a part of our show. So great to have you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to 100 PM, the official podcast for 100ProductManagers.com. If you enjoyed the show. Please subscribe in the Apple Store, at Google Play, or on Stitcher, and leave us a great review to help other listeners discover us more easily. If you want to get in touch directly, email me, Suzanne, at 100ProductManagers.com, or visit us on the web 